VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. With all its songs about heartache and loss, rock and roll does earnest very well. But sometimes nothing sounds better than an artist having some fun. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cotter of the Chicago Tribune. Today we turn up the humor to 11 and look at the use of satire in pop music. Plus, veteran indie band Yola Tango is back with its 13th release. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions and time now for some music news. Greg, that of course is Love Me Do, the first single from The Beatles, released in 1962. We don't often think of The Beatles in the same breath as classical composers, say, like Beethoven or Bach. Yet, from the copyright perspective, they are getting up there. European law, as it stands now, means that a copyright for an artist's song expires after 50 years. On New Year's Eve, the rights to Love Me Do and many of the Beatles' earliest work expired. Two companies in Europe have taken advantage of this loophole to issue Love Me Do on recordings of their own, not by Apple or Capitol Records or Beatles Incorporated. This law is going to change in 2014 in Europe, extending copyright to 70 years. But it's really interesting to see some of this classic rock work beginning to slip into that realm of public domain. Sony Music, on the other hand, Jim, did not want to see what happened to the Beatles in Europe happen to their client, Bob Dylan. So they took 86 Dylan tracks from 1962 and 63, previously unreleased, put them together in a box set artfully called The Copyright Extension Collection, Volume (laughs) 1, and put them out only in France and Germany. This is under an arcane provision in that new European copyright law that says, use it or lose it. 
If you don't put these recordings out, they go public domain in another year. If you do use it, you can retain them for 20 more years. That's exactly what Sony decided to do. Meanwhile, if you are an American Dylanologist and you covet the Copyright Extension Collection Volume 1, you really can only get it on eBay for exorbitant prices. I've seen prices upwards of $1,400. Had to get the train From Potsdam Flats You never knew that that I could do that Just walk in the dead David Bowie with a new single, Where Are We Now? Jim, I didn't think I would utter those words ever again in David Bowie's lifetime. God bless him. But uh, here he is back with a new song that is remarkable in the way it was completely kept under wraps. Not only a new song, but apparently an entire new album has been recorded and will be out within a matter of weeks. Bowie working in great secrecy in New York with his longtime producer and collaborator, former Sound Opinions guest, by the way, Tony Visconti. I'm amazed that Tony, when he was on the show, did not spill the beans about working with uh, one of his greatest collaborators once again. But Bowie has not released anything in nearly a decade, and a lot of people thought he had effectively retired from the music business. But he's back with a brand new single, Where Are We Now?, and a new album to follow. Greg, there's a couple of other singles that have come out really recently that we should mention. You know, generally speaking, this is a slow time of the year for big album releases, but there's all these singles that people are buzzing about. Suit and Tie is the first new music from JT, Justin Timberlake, since 2006. I think a lot of people thought he was just going to be a Hollywood movie star from now on. But no, he is going back to music. He is doing it with a guest appearance from Jay-Z. And he is working with Timbaland at the uh, producer's board, which is pretty darn exciting. As long as I got my suit and tie, I'm going to leave it up on the floor tonight. And it got fixed up to the nines. Let me show you a few things. Jim, I have to say I was very excited about the prospect of Big Boy and Andre 3000 of Outkast working together again in any capacity after we reviewed the uh, Big Boy album a couple of weeks ago. And lo and behold, it's almost happened. The new Frank Ocean remix of Pink Matter featuring Big Boy and Andre 3000. So yet we have those two great voices on the same record. But Andre 3000, the master debunker that he is, says, don't get your hopes up, fans. This is not an outcast reunion. This is not a prelude to an outcast reunion. We just happen to be on the same record. Since you've been gone, I've been having withdrawals. You were such a habit to call. I ain't myself at all. Had to tell myself, no, she better with some fella with a regular job. I didn't want to get her involved. By then, Mr. Benjamin was sitting in awe. Hops into my car, drove far. Far's too close, and I remember my memory's no sharp. But a knife, water life, anyway. I'm building y'all a clock, start what am I anyway? She had the kind of body that would probably intimidate any of them that were unsouthern. Not me, cousin. If models are made for modeling, thick girls are made for cuddling. Switch worlds and we can huddle then. Who needs another friend? I need to hold your hand. You need no other man. We flee to other lands. 
Last but not least, Greg, we have Jay-Z's better half, Beyonce, getting together for the first time in eight years with her old group, Destiny's Child. They have a new song called Nuclear, which is going to be on a compilation album called Love Songs, and apparently they're going to join her during her headlining performance at halftime on the Super Bowl for a medley of the old tunes. think of these reunion tracks or the hot new songs of 2013 give us a call 888-859-1800 Oh, yes, that is Spinal Tap with The Immortal. Tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight, which makes us both laugh even just saying it. (laughs) Why are we playing Spinal Tap? Because it is one of rock and roll's, probably rock and roll's greatest period ever example of satire. We were thinking about the use of satire in music because we have an interview next week that's going to air with uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone talking about the Book of Mormon and their work in South Park and satire in music. So we thought we would weigh in this week on some of the greatest pieces of musical satire in rock history. We're looking at it in two ways. Songs that are satirizing an issue in society, social satire in rock and roll, or rock and roll making fun of itself, satirizing the form itself, which is what Spinal Tap was doing. So we have got a specially minted satire coin, Jim, with two great literary satirists on it. Uh, on one side, I've got Mark Twain, who oh, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Jonathan Swift. All right. The coin's in the air. And it's Mark Twain, so I go first. When I think of rock and roll satirists, Jim, one of the first names that comes to mind is Frank Zappa with his great group, The Mothers of Invention, in the 60s. In 1968, put out an album called We're Only In It For The Money a very direct parody of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album cover on the gatefold sleeve, his own interpretation of what the Beatles were up to. Yeah, the Beatles said, all you need is love, and Zappa said, we're only in it for the money. Exactly. People uh, genuflecting at the altar of the Beatles at the time, but not Frank Zappa. He, He saw a lot of insincerity in what they were doing, and he basically saw this is the start of the corruption, the co-optation of this youth culture movement. He hated hippies. He hated psychedelic rock. He hated the Beatles. He was going after all of them in the We're Only In It For The Money album. One of the best tracks on the record, one of the great pieces of satire and rock and roll is Who Needs The Peace Corps, in which he goes after 
the fake hippies who descended upon San Francisco during the Summer of Love and immediately afterward, the wannabes who were buying into this promise of free love, lots of drugs, flower power sloganeering, but really didn't mean any of it. They were just out for a good time. They didn't really believe any of this, or at least Zappa believed that. In this song, he was attacking the notion of the wannabe hippie. Frank Zappa, who needs the Peace Corps on Sound Opinions? What's there to live for? Who needs the Peace Corps? Think I'll just drop out. I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig, and sleep on Owsley's floor. Walk past the wig store. Dance at the Fillmore. I'm completely stoned. I'm hippie and I'm trippy. I'm a gypsy on my own. I'll stay a week and get the crabs and take a bus back home. I'm really just a phony, but forgive me, cause I'm stoned. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. First, I'll buy some beads. Then perhaps a leather band to go around my head, some feathers and bells, and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. Frank Zappa from the Mothers of Invention classic, we're only in it for the money, the track Who Needs the Peace Corps. Jim, what do you got for us? Well, Greg, great minds think alike. I'm going to stick with the same time period for my first track. It's from 1968, from the seventh album by comedian Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby sings, Hooray for the Salvation Army Band, with an exclamation point. It's actually the second album where Cosby was drawing on his jazz background and singing a lot, making music on this record. It's even deeper in terms of parodying the hippie culture, the Beatles. Cosby adds a third element. Jimi Hendrix. Cosby, being a bit of an old fogey, was appalled by psychedelic music in general, and in particular an African-American artist like Hendrix, indulging in what Bill considered pure escapism. So he parodies this notion of, you know, the Beatles dressing up on Sgt. Pepper as a Salvation Army type band, and he's lifting lock, stock, and barrel, the riff from Purple Haze, right? Bill Cosby don't care about no stinking copyright. This is a sampling lawsuit that should have happened half a century ago. It's a really obscure but classic track. Bill Cosby, hooray for the Salvation Army band on Sound Opinions.
gotta love that. Bill Cosby and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band spoofing the Beatles and Hendrix with Hooray for the Salvation Army Band. As I walk this wicked world searching for Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we've got more of the best tongue-in-cheek rock tunes. Then Greg and I review the latest from Hoboken's own Yola Tango. Chicken, have some more pie. It doesn't matter if it's boiled or fried, just eat it. Eat 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is Weird Al Yankovic. We're doing a show about satire, and uh, it could be argued that Weird Al really does parody, as he's doing there with Michael Jackson's Beat It, turning it into Eat It. I wonder how long it took him to come up with that. (laughs) He's got a million of them, Jim, let me tell you. But uh, we're going a little deeper here with the satire. I want to go to the Dead Kennedys, 1980. In my ute, I went to see this band dozens of times, and Jello Biafra, the lead singer in the band, always had this gleam in his eye. There was always a double-edged meaning to those Dead Kennedys songs. Agree or disagree with the guy, he was always thinking about the world and stuff he didn't like about it. In, in the second Dead Kennedys single, Holiday in Cambodia, he was particularly ticked off about this whole notion of the young white liberal driving around in his daddy's car in California thinking that he was a do-gooder, that he was down with the black man, man, and I sympathize with the plight of poor Africans and poor Asians, and I understand what they're going through. And Jello Biafra's going, what a bunch of hooey. Here we are in 1980, and we're just coming off this period in Cambodia, which had been under the dictatorship of Pol Pot, who had systematically butchered and killed millions of his own people in the late 70s. And Jello Biafra's going, you know, kid, you think you empathize with this part of the world, but what you really need is a holiday in Cambodia to get the true (laughs) experience. Here's the Dead Kennedys, Holiday in Cambodia, on Sound Opinions.
the Dead Kennedys Holiday in Cambodia. Good pick, Greg. I would have gone with California Uber but, yeah. but really, there's dozens of Dead Kennedy songs. It's right there in the band's name. My next example is a bit of tortured satire or a self-conscious satire. Beck originally wrote the song Deborah before recording Odelay. He was going to record it with the Duffs Brothers for that big debut breakthrough, but he thought it was too tongue-in-cheek. He began playing it in 96 on stage, and it became an instant crowd favorite. Here is a song that's working as satire on two levels. Partly, Beck is satirizing the hot-to-trot player, you know, who thinks he is all that male sexuality, and partly he is satirizing R&B itself in its hypersexual moments. Obviously, Beck is drawing a lot from Prince. It became a showstopper. People love this song. Mm-hmm. People would demand this song. And then Beck started to get very self-conscious about it. I don't know whether it was the lyrics or the disrespect the, the song showed to, to R&B or, you know, Beck, I think, has lost a lot of his sense of humor since the days of Loser. So, you know, on the Sea Change tour, he was playing the song, but he was changing the lyrics every night, kind of mm-hmm. disavowing his own satire. I think the original Deborah from the Midnight Vultures album in 99 really holds up as great satire. Here it is on Sound Opinions. I met you at J.C. Penny. I think your name tag. I said Jenny. I could step to you with the fish pack of gum. And somehow I Together, get together. 
That's Deborah on Sound Opinions from Beck, one of Jim Irigatis's examples of great satire in pop music. Uh, we're running down some great satirical songs, and I want to highlight a recent great satirical album that came out in 2007, Over the Counterculture, from Tim Fight, a singer-songwriter out of Brooklyn who has uh, fashioned quite a career blending folk, punk, and hip-hop. On this album, he does critique hip-hop. It's packed with hip-hop beats, outrageous humor, and a lot of rage. In the song I'm going to play, he's riffing on that great Chris Rock line about 50 Cent, that shot nine times thing where he just kind of turned it into an entire comedic riff. So the 50 Cent album came out. I never heard a damn thing about the music. All I kept hearing was, he got shot nine times. (laughs) Who produced it? He got shot nine times. And rappers like Tupac Shakur, who are wearing their gunshot wounds like badges of honor. But I also think what Fight is going after in this song is not so much the artists, but the record industry that's been built up around them. You know, an industry that sort of encourages and enables and rewards that kind of pose. You know, it's it's cool to be a target. Mm. Uh, and, and Tim Fight's going, wait a minute, you know, what, what, what's going on here? So he's embodying one of these rappers. He said, I should be dead, but I'm rich instead. Tim Fight, I've been shot on sound opinion. I've been shot. I used to think I'd make it on talent and nothing else. But these days, a little bit of violence helps. And I could tell that it's the gunplay that drives the crowd crazy. Every now and then, I ask somebody to graze me. Just shoot me a little bit, man. Make it look good. Well, not every rapper does it, but every rapper should. It's a good career move. Just what you'll see when everybody goes and gets shot like me. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you just, you got to get shot in order to make things happen. Sometimes, you know, so just, you know, get a friend and a gun and have them point the gun at you and you pull the trigger and bang, 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 bang. It's as easy as three, two, one. All the best rappers get shot by guns. In the hills, in a house in the valley Get a good manager, a pal to be Behind the trigger when your cell figures down Shot in the shit, shot in the arms Shot in the head, shot in the legs Shot in the lungs I've been shot, took one in the ribs I've been shot, one in the lip but I live I've been shot, one in the eye, one in the gut I've been shot, I'm not one with a bullet Shot in the shit, shot in the arms Shot in the head, shot in the legs Shot in the lungs 
Tim Fight with I've Been Shot on Sound Opinions, an example of satire and pop music. You've got another choice for us, right, Jim? Greg, I'm going to go to Bongwater, a group that uh, used satire very, very well in its short but memorable career. This was a band that essentially centered on two people. Kramer, the uh, New York indie underground record producer, did a lot of great records in the indie 80s. And Ann Magnuson, who had been a performance artist in New York, introduced to the mainstream in 85 when she appeared in Desperately Seeking Susan, but continued to do one-woman shows, some very edgy humor. People came and went through this band, but Bongwater really was always about Kramer and Ann Magnuson, put out four albums between 89 and 92, They were starting to fall apart when they recorded this one, the big sellout in 92, but it's got some really memorable moments. Sometimes their humor was obvious. They've got a song that's making fun of David Bowie stealing people's ideas, but this is a much more subtle kind of satire, the song I'm going to play, Free Love Messes Up My Life. What you've got here musically is a piece of that space-age bachelor pad music, Mm. you know, early 61, 62 kind of stereo hi-fi groove pad music. Think Austin Powers or think Peter Sellers' original movie, I Love You, Alice B. Toklas, right? Are you, you get the mindset? And Magnuson is using this to make fun of that notion, that playboy jet set lifestyle of free love, concluding free love messes up my life at the same time <laughs> that they're indulging in this music. Here is Bongwater with Free Love Messes Up My Life on Sound Opinions.
Free Love Messes Up My Life from Bong Water, a great piece of satire and pop music. We've got our complete list of satirical songs at the website, soundopinions.org. And uh, give us a call. Let us know what you think about satire and rock music. Name some of your favorites at 888-859-1800. We're going to be back with our final song choices, plus a review of the new album by Yola Tango. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. White girls, you are attracted to us. Black girls, you are attracted to us. Asian girls, you are attracted to us. Latinas, you are attracted to us. Attracted to us, but you never could. Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott, and that is the Flight of the Concords. Greg, I remember sitting and reviewing their show after that 2008 album with you. We were both there. We were laughing, laughing up a storm at the Chicago Theater. You've got one more great satirical rock song. Yes, I do, Jim. I, I cannot do this show without mentioning Digital Underground, who were great satirists in their day. The group led by one Greg Jacobs, a.k.a. Shock G., crew out of Oakland that was very much influenced by 70s funk, particularly George Clinton's uh, Parliament Funkadelic. You know, and this whole notion that funk is kind of over the top anyway, it, mm-hmm. it, it is sort of cartoonish, but it, it can have an edge, and it especially did with the political satire that Clinton would bring to his music in P-Funk. Digital Underground was sort of the hip-hop era extension of that. Jacob's a big disciple of George Clinton. Now, Jacobs had many alter egos, one of which was Humpty Hump, and uh, <laughs> he is speaking in Humpty Hump's voice on uh, this particular track. Humpty Hump, if you ever saw Digital Underground in live performance, you know, he's this skinny guy, and he's got this huge nose, these Groucho Marx glasses, and this really annoying nasally voice. He is a total example of an African-American nerd, if there ever was one, the guy who couldn't get any girl if he wanted to. But you don't have to look like MC Hammer to get girls is basically what uh, Humpty Hump's whole shtick was. In this particular song, the Humpty Dance, he's saying, you know, you can spaz out on the dance floor, you can look like me, and you can still get the girl. It's an ode to being yourself, you know, comfortable with yourself as a satire of a lot of contemporary hip-hop at the time. Digital Underground with the Humpty Dance on Sound Opinion. 
you're doing Cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me Now gather round, I'm the new fool in town And my sound's laid down by the underground I drink a bottle of Hennessy you got on your shelf So just let me introduce myself My name is Humpty, pronounced with the Humpty Yo, ladies, oh, how I like to funk thee And all the rappers in the top ten Please allow me to bump thee I'm stepping tall, y'all And just like Humpty Dumpty You're gonna fall when the stereos pump me I like to rhyme, I like my beats funky I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy I'm sick with this, straight gangster Mac But sometimes I get ridiculous I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice Oh, yo, fat girl Come here, are you ticklish? Yeah, I called you fat Look at me, I'm skinny It never stopped me from getting busy I'm a freak I like the girls with the boom I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom I'm crazy Allow me to amaze thee They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me I'm still getting in the girls' dance And I even got my own dance Digital Underground with the Humpty Dance on Sound Opinions. Jim, what's your last song pick for a great pop song with satire in it? Mr. Cotton, I think I'm going to go back to where both of us started, which is the Beatles. I mean, you know, as the rock band of all time, it makes sense that there's more satire of the Beatles than anybody else. But I was torn because I also really wanted to get a mention in of the greatest uh, English satirical rock band. I think the English version of Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, which was the famous Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Mm -hmm. What to do, what to do. I know. I'll combine. Eric Idle of the Monty Python Troupe got together with Neil Innes, leader of the Bonzo Dog Band, and in the late 70s began parodying the Beatles as the Ruddles, hmm. the prefab four, as they say. In 1978, there was a wonderful mockumentary predating Spinal Tap, All You Need Is Cash. Hmm. From these streets, very close to the cavern Rutland, came the fabulous Rutland sound, created by the prefab four, Dirk Nasty, Stig, and Barry, who created a musical legend that will last a lunchtime. This showed on American television under the aegis of Lauren Michaels in 78, had the distinction of being one of the lowest-rated programs that year on <laughs> network TV. But I think the parody of the Beatles really stands up. I mean, they get every era of the Beatles incarnation from the skiffle days to the breakdown of Let It Be. I'm going to go for a song that's in that, that heady period of help called Ouch! <laughs> With the exclamation point. For the Ruddles, the Beatles' help becomes ouch. And every one of these songs, because Innes was such a great musician and Idol was so witty and such a Beatles fan, they managed not only to spoof one Beatles song per one Ruddles song. There's like references to six or seven Beatles songs in every tune that the Ruddles do. This is one of my favorites, Ouch! by the Ruddles on Sound Opinions. Ouch! You're breaking my heart. Ouch! I'm falling apart. Ouch, 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 ouch. When we first met, I must admit, 
seems upset the apple cart. with Ouch on Sound Opinions. That wraps up our discussion of great satirical rock songs. Check out our lists on soundopinions.org and share yours. That is a song called Ohm, which opens up album number 13 from Yola Tango, Fade. This is a band that has been going for much longer than I ever thought they would. I was there at the very first Yola Tango show, sitting on the floor at Maxwell's, watching Georgia Hubley and Ira Kaplan launch their new band, and you and I were at one of their latest big gigs. Uh, We introduced them on stage at a uh, music festival in Philadelphia, critics' darlings throughout their career. Now, this is not just a case of them being beloved because Ira Kaplan once wrote rock criticism. He is a master of good taste. You know, there is never a misplaced note on Yola Tango Records. He he learned the lessons of the Velvet Underground, and he has now given us 13 albums that take them in all sorts of different directions. There's really been two parts to Yola Tango's career. There were the early years where a lot of different people came and went through the band, and they explored different sounds. And then since 1992, James McNew has been the bass player. This really is the Yola Tango that I think most of their fans know. They have really been concentrating on this guitar, drone rock, and subtle variations on each album, but that basic sound. And that entire time, they've worked with the same producer, Roger Mutino. Now they are going on album number 13 with a different producer, John McIntyre, who's worked with Stereolab, who is the driving force behind Tortoise, What are they giving us on this record? Let's play a track. We'll come back and we'll review the record. This is a song called Well You Better by Yola Tango from Fade on Sound Opinions.
you better from yola tango the new album is called fade number 13 as jim mentioned um in the last decade they've really become this more cohesive generally quieter more contemplative kind of mood band and the records have started to sound a little samey to me at times you know that 90s run jim with painful electro pura and i can hear the heart beating as one that one two three punch of albums mm. right there i'd stack that up against anybody's output in the 90s. You give me Pavement, The Flaming Lips, whatever, I think the Yola Tango was as good as any indie band of the 90s. So the tone has, has shifted. It's become a little more contemplative here in the last decade. But I actually think they're showing me some new moves on this record that are quite encouraging. I, I was kind of surprised to hear that John Fahey-esque acoustic guitar playing by Ira Kaplan on I'll Be Around. You know, there's growth here. The beautiful chamber pop of Cornelia and Jane. You know, the way yeah. George's voice mirrors Ira's. They're like one androgynous being on their records. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they mm-hmm. sing. And it's a beautiful quality. And these songs about a relationship that has gone through, you know, two, three decades now. Uh, the anxiety they feel about growing older, possibly growing apart, coming back together again. It's just a wonderful, cohesive mood album. And I think it's one of the best things they've done in the last 10 years. I'm, I'm going to have to give Fade a buy it rating. I agree, Greg. It's a buy it record. Of the Yola Tango quieter records, I think it's my favorite since Fake Book in 1990. That's that early ancient mm-hmm. group where they had different people coming and going through the band where they did an acoustic covers record and really were low-key. It's a beautiful record. This record, with the addition of strings, which is not something you would expect from Yola Tango, it's really exciting in that regard. I think John McIntyre producing them, he did a lot of great work with Stereolab. I always think of something that uh, Stereolab told me, which is really we only have one song. Mm. It's a giant iceberg and we chip off little ice cubes. Now that could be said of Yola Tango. I think the cynics, the skeptics would say, you rock critics always talking about Yola Tango. What do I need 13 Yola Tango records for? (laughs) I'm not sure you do, but there are great moments on all of them and you could make any number of wonderful mixtapes drawing from all of them. I'm glad I got 13 records, but then I grew up with this band. So it's a double buy it from both of us. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have an in-studio conversation with two of our favorite musical satirists, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creative minds behind South Park and Book of Mormon. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lind and Jason Saldana. Our assistant producer is Annie Minoff. Our intern is Griffin Waterman. And our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, who was drummer number 17 in Spinal Tap.
On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. And I'll get back to you. New messages. Hey, guys. This is Michael from Arlington Heights, Illinois. And I'm calling to thank you for featuring Amy Mann. I think she's an amazing artist who embraces both melody and lyrics with equal passion. She's witty, articulate, and has some, uh, such a unique vocal style. And I'm really glad she mentioned the tour she did with her husband, Michael Penn. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen in a tour. I hope they repeat sometime soon. Keep up the good work and things. Hey guys, this is Steve from Philadelphia. Just wanted to say what a great show it was when you covered the shoegazing genre. I was lucky enough to see some of those bands early on back in the day in England. About 23 years ago, I remember seeing just one fantastic concert by Ride. And uh, if Kathy is listening, I know it's a long time ago, sorry for headbutting you in the teeth when uh, they played Chelsea Girls. Good time. Talk to you soon. This is Lawrence. I'm calling from uh, Berkeley, California. And I just listened to the shoegazing show. And as I listened to this, I realized that you, you overlooked something I think really important which was the band that I liked better than all of those bands in that period, personally, and that was Loop. Loop was sort of like shoegazing music plus heroin. They were one of the most direct and most, I'd say, to the point transcendent band and they were so heavy and so great and their live show was fantastic. Hi Jim and Greg, uh, this is Chuck Graves from uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I wanted to call and thank you for your show on shoegaze. Uh, you talk about uh, how there were folks that only really were record collectors that listened to them, but I'd have to say that college I went to, shoegaze was huge amongst me and my fraternity brothers. I remember every Sunday night after our chapter meetings going down uh, and watching some pre-Matt Pinfield 120 minutes and seeing all the great shoegaze bands on there. The biggest thing, I think, is whenever I uh, hear you add items to your Desert Island jukebox, I always think about um, you know, my five albums I have on there, and there's two that have been on there for over 20 years, uh, one being Catherine Wheel's first album, Ferment, and the second being The Verve's first album, A Storm in Heaven.
I really think when you listen to that album from beginning to end, that's what a storm in heaven sounds like. So thanks again for highlighting that genre and uh, giving me a little bit of a history lesson on it, especially how Britpop killed it. Even though I do enjoy Oasis, they'll never quite be Catherine Wheel or Early Verb in my mind. Thanks. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.